Section 3 of the Natural History, Volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 22. Fabrics which rival the colors of flowers. We have now said enough on the subject on the odoriferous flowers in relation to which Latry not only glories in having vanquished nature in the composition of, of unguents, but has even gone so far as to challenge in her fabrics those flowers which are more particularly recommended by the beauty of their tints. I remark that the following are the three principal colours. The red, that of the kermes, for instance, which beginning in the tints of the rose reflects when viewed sideways, and held up to the light the shades that are found in the Tyrian purple, and the colours of the dibepha and laconian cloths. The amethystine colour, which is borrowed from the violet, and to which, bordering as it does on the purple, we have given the name of eanthinum. It must, however, be remembered that we here give a general name to the colour which is subdivided into numerous tints, and a third properly known as the conchilated colour, but which comprehends a variety of shades, such, for instance, as the tints of the heliotropium, and others of a deeper colour. The hues of the mellow incline to a full purple, and the colours of the late violet. This last being the most vivid, in fact of all the conchilated tints. The rival colours being now set side by side, nature and luxury may enter the lists to vie for the mastery. I find it stated that in the most ancient times yellow was held in the highest esteem, but was reserved exclusively for the nuptial veils of females, for which reason it is perhaps that we do not find it included among the principal colours though it's been used in common by males and females. Indeed, it is the circumstance of their being used by both sexes in common that gives them their rank as principal colours. Chapter 23. The Amaranth. There is no doubt that all the efforts of art are surpassed by the amaranth, which is, to speak correctly, rather a purple ear than a flower, and at the same time quite inodorous. It is a marvellous feature in this plant that it takes a delight in being gathered. Indeed, the more it is plucked, the better it grows. It comes to flower in the month of August, and lasts throughout the autumn. The finest of all is the amaranth of Alexandria, which is generally gathered for keeping, for it is a really marvellous fact that when all the other flowers have gone out, the amaranth, upon being dipped in water, comes to life again. It is used also for making winter chaplets. The peculiar quality of the amaranth is sufficiently indicated by its name, it having been so called from the circumstance that it never fades. Chapter 24. The Cyanos. The Holochrysos. The name, two of the Cyanos, indicates its colour, and so does that of the Holochrysos. None of these flowers were in use in the time of Alexander the Great, for their authors, we find, who flourished at a period immediately after his decease, have made not the slightest mention of them, in which circumstance it is very clear that they only came into fashion at a later period. Still, however, who can entertain any doubt that they were first introduced by the Greeks from the fact that Italy has only their Greek names by which to designate them? Chapter 25. The Batilium. The Bellio. But why Hercules? It is Italy herself that has given its name to the Batilium, an autumnal flower which springs up in the vicinity of thorny bricks, and recommends itself solely by its colour, which is that of the wild rose. 
the petals of it are small and five in number and it is a remarkable circumstance in this plant that the head of it droops at first and it is only after it becomes erect that the petals make their appearance forming a small corolla of various colours enclosing a yellow seed the bellio too is a yellow flower formed of fifty-five filaments circularly arranged in the shape of a chaplet these are both of them meadow flowers which are mostly of no use whatever and consequently without names even the flowers just mentioned are known sometimes by one name and sometimes by another chapter twenty six the chrysocom or chrysitis the chrysocom or chrysitis has no latin appellation it is a palm in height the flowers forming clusters of a golden colour the root of it is black and it has a taste both rough and sweet it is found growing in stony and umbrageous spots chapter twenty seven shrubs the blossoms of which are used for chaplets having thus passed in review nearly all the best-known colours we must now give our attention to the chaplets which are pleasing merely on account of the variety of their materials of such chaplets there are two kinds one composed of flowers the other of leaves the flowers so employed i may say are those of broom the yellow blossom gathered from it the rhododendron and the jujube also known as the tree of cappadocia which bears an odiferous flower similar to that of the olive among the brambles too we find the cyclamenium growing of which we shall have to speak more at length on a future occasion its flower which reflects the hues of the purple of colosse is used as an ingredient in chaplets chapter twenty eight shrubs the leaves of which are used for chaplets the leaves also of smilax and ivy are employed in chaplets indeed the clusters of these plants are held in the very highest esteem for this purpose we have already spoken of them at sufficient length for intruding of the shrubs there are also other kinds of shrubs which can only be indicated by their greek names little attention having been paid by the framers of our language to this branch of nomenclature most of them grow in foreign countries it is true but still it is our duty to make some mention of them as it is of nature in general that we are speaking and not of italy in particular chapter twenty nine the melothron sparia and origanum the cenorum or cassia two varieties of it the melissophilium or melitena the melilote otherwise known as companion garland thus it is that we find employed for chaplets the leaves of the melothron sparia origanum cnearum by hygienists called cassia coniza or canalago melissophilion or apestrum the meliote known to us by the name of Campanian garland, the best kind of meliote, in Italy being that of Campania, in Greece that of Cape Sunium, and next to that the produce of Chalcidice and Crete. But wherever this plant grows, it is only to be found in rugged and wild localities. The name Sertula or garland, which it bears, sufficiently proves that this plant was formerly much used in the composition of chaplets. The smell, as well as the flower, closely resembles that of saffron though the stem itself is white the shorter and more fleshy the leaves the more highly it is esteemed chapter thirty three varieties of trefoil the myophonum the leaves of trefoil also are employed for making chaplets there are three varieties the first being called by the greeks sometimes minyaths and sometimes asphaltian 
the leaves of it which the garland makers employ are larger than those of other kinds the second variety known as the oxytriflion has a pointed leaf and the third has a smallest leaf of them all among these plants there are some which have a tough sinewy stem such as marathon for instance hippomarathon and the myophonum the umbils too of fennel giant and the purple flowers of the ivy are employed for this purpose as also another kind of ivy very similar to the wild rose the colour only of which is attractive the flower being quite inodorous there are also two varieties used of the canorum the black and the white this last being odiferous they are both of them provided with branches and they blossom after the autumnal equinox there are the same number of varieties also of origanum employed in making chaplets one of which is destitute of seed the other which is also odiferous being known as the cretin origanum chapter thirty one two varieties of thyme plants produced from blossoms and not from seed there are also many varieties of thyme employed the one white the other dark it flowers about the summer solstice when the bees cull from it from this plant a sort of augury is derived as to how the honey is likely to turn out for the beekeepers have reason to look for a large crop when their thyme blossoms in considerable abundance thyme receives great injury from showers of rain and is very apt to shed its blossom the seed of thyme is so minute as to be imperceptible and yet that of auriculum which is also extremely minute does not escape the sight but what matter is it that nature has thus concealed it from our view but we have reason to conclude that it exists in the flower itself which when sown in the ground gives birth to the plant what is there in fact that the industry of man is left untried the honey of attica is generally looked upon as the best in all the world for which reason it is that the thyme of that country has been transplanted being reproduced as already stated with the greatest difficulty from the blossom but there is also another peculiarity in the nature of the thyme of attica which has greatly tended to frustrate these attempts it will never live except in the vicinity of breezes from the sea in former times it was the general belief that this is the case with all kinds of thyme and that this is the reason why it does not grow in arcadia at a period when it was universally supposed to that the olive never grows beyond three hundred stadia from the sea but at the present day we know for certain that the province of gallia narbonesis the stony plains are quite overgrown with thyme this being in fact the only source of revenue to those parts thousands of sheep being brought thither from distant countries to browse upon the plant chapter thirty two coniza there are two varieties of coniza also employed in making chaplets the male plant and the female the difference consists in the leaves those of the female plant being thinner more tapering and narrower and those of the male being of an imbricated shape the plant having a greater number of branches the blossoms too of the male plant is more vivid than that of the female in both kinds it is late in making its appearance not till after the rising of arcturus the smell of the male coniza is more powerful than that of the female plant the latter however is of a more penetrating nature for which reason it is that the female plant is held in higher esteem for the treatment of the bites of animals the leaves of the female plant have exactly the smell of honey and the root of the male has received the name of Lebanotis. For some, we have already made mention of it on a previous occasion. Chapter 33 The Flower of Jove, the Hemocales, 
the Helenum, the phlox, plants in which the branches and roots are odoriferous. The following plants, too, it is only the leaves that are employed for chaplets, the flower of Jove, the Americus, the Hemochelus, the Abrotonum, the Helenium, the Sisimbrium, and wild thyme, all of them ligneous plants growing in a manner similar to the rose. The flower of Jove is pleasing only for its colours being quite inodorous, which is the case also with the plant known by the Greek name of phlox. All the plants to which we have just mentioned are odoriferous, both in the branches and the leaves, with the sole exception of wild thyme. The Hellenium is said to have had its origin in the tears of Helen, and hence it is that the kind grown on the island of Helena is so highly esteemed. It is a shrub which grows out its tiny branches along the ground, some nine inches in length, with a leaf very similar to that of wild thyme. Chapter 34 The Abrotonum the Adonium, two varieties of it, plants which reproduce themselves, the Leucanthium. The flower of the Abrotonum, which makes its appearance in summer, has a powerful but agreeable smell. It is of a bright golden colour, left to range at large. It reproduces itself by layers from the tops of the branches, but when it is propagated by the hand of man, it is better to grow it from the seed than from the roots or slips, though even from the seed. It is not grown without considerable trouble. The young plants are transplanted in summer, which is the case also with the Adonium. They are both of them plants of a very chilly nature, though at the same time they are apt to receive injury if too much exposed to the sun. When, however, they have gained sufficient strength, they throw out branches like those of rue. The Leucanthemum has a similar smell to that of the Abrotonum. It is a foliated plant with a white flower. Chapter 35. Two Varieties of the Americus. Diocles, the physician, and the people of Sicily have given the name of Americus to the plant known in Egypt and Syria as Samsushum. It is reproduced two ways, from seed and from cuttings, be more long-lived than the preceding plants and possessed of more agreeable smell. The Americus, like the Abrotonum, has a great abundance of seed, but while the abrotonum has a single root which penetrates deep into the ground, those of the other plant adhere but lightly to the surface of the earth. Those of the other plants which love the shade, water, and manure are generally set at the beginning of autumn, and even in some localities in spring. Chapter 36 The Nyct Tegritron Genomyche or Nyctelops Democritus has regarded the Nyctegritron as one of the most singular of plants. According to that author, is of a dark red colour, as leaves like those of a thorn, and creeps upon the ground. He says that it grows in Gedrosia, more particularly, and that it is taken up by the roots immediately after the vernal equinox, and dried in the moonlight for thirty days, out of which preparation it emits light by night. He states also that the Magi and the kings of Parthia employ this plant in their ceremonies when they make a vow to perform an undertaking. That another name given to it is the Chinomyche, for which the circumstance that, at the very sight of it, geese will manifest the greatest alarm, and that by some persons again, is known that Nicotelops, from the light which it emits at a considerable distance by night. Chapter 37. Where the Melilite is found. The Melilite is found growing everywhere, though that of Attica is held in the highest esteem. In all countries, however, it is preferred when fresh gathered, 
that too the colour of which is not white but approaches as nearly as possible to the colour of saffron in italy however it is the white kind that is the most odoriferous chapter thirty eight the succession in which flowers blossom the spring flowers the violet the chaplet anemone the senanth the melanion the helichrysos the gladiolus the hyacinth the first of the flowers that announce the approach of spring is the white violet indeed in warm localities it is seen peeping out in the winter even next to it comes the violet known as the ion and the purple violet then the flame-coloured flower the name of which is phlox but only the wild one the cochlaminium blossoms twice a year in spring and autumn standing equally in all as it does of summer and winter the narcissus and the lily in the parts beyond sea are a little later than the preceding plants but in italy as we have already stated they are in blossom with the rose in greece too the anemone blooms even later it is the flower of a wild bulb and is altogether different from the one which we shall have occasion to mention among the medicinal plants next after these come the cyanath the melanion and among the wild plants the helichrysos then another kind of anemone known as the limonia and after that the gladiolus accompanied by the hyacinth last of all among the spring flowers of the rose which with the exception indeed of the cultivated kinds is also the first to fade among the others the flowers which last the longest are the hyacinth the white violet and the cyanath but to make this last keep any time in flower it is necessary to gather it repeatedly to prevent it from running seed cyanath grows in warm localities and has exactly the smell of the vine when in blossom to which circumstance it is indebted for its name there are two fabulous stories attached to the hyans according to one of them it bears the impress of the grief which apollo felt for the youth whom he had so tenderly loved and we learn from the other that it derives its name from the blood of ajax the veins being so arranged in the flower as to form the greek letters a i inscribed upon it the helichrysos has a flower resembling golden appearance a small leaf and a fine slender but hard stem according to the magi the person who crowns himself with a chaplet composed of this flower and takes his ungents from a box of gold of the kind generally known as apirion will be sure to secure esteem and glory among his fellow-men such are the flowers of spring chapter thirty nine the summer flowers the lynchness the tiffion two varieties of the pothos two varieties of the orsinum the vincampervinca or gemadilfine a plant which is an evergreen the summer flowers come next the lanthanths the flower of jove another kind of lily and also the typhon and the amaricus surnamed that of phrygnia but the most remarkable flower of all is the pothos of which there are two varieties one with the flower of the hyacinth and another with a white flower which is generally found growing about graves and is better able to stand bad weather the iris also blossoms in summer all these flowers pass away however and fade upon which others assume their places in autumn a third kind of lily for instance saffron and two varieties of the orsinum one of them inodorous and the other scented making their appearance all of them as soon as the first autumn showers fall the garland makers employ the flowers of the thorn even for making chaplets the tender shoots too of the white thorn are sometimes preserved as a choice morsel to tempt the palate such is the succession of the summer flowers in the parts beyond sea in italy the violet is succeeded by the rose the lily comes on while the rose is still in flower 
the cyanus succeeds the rhodes and the amaranth the cyanus as to the vin caprovinca it is never green the branches of which run out like so many strings and leaves surrounding the stem at each of the knots even more generally used for the purpose of ornamental gardening it is sometimes employed in chaplets when there is deficiency of other flowers from the greeks this plant has received the name of chamandaphne chapter forty the duration of life in the various kinds of flowers at the very utmost the white violet never lasts longer than three years should it exceed that period it is sure to degenerate the rose tree will last so long as five years without being pruned or cauterized the methods by which it is made to grow young again we have already stated that the nature of the soil is of the very greatest importance for in egypt we find all these plants are perfectly inodorous and it is only the myrtle that has any particular smell in some countries too the germination of all the plants precedes that in other parts of the world by so long a period as two months even the rose beds should be well spaded immediately after the west winds begin to prevail and a second time at the summer solstice every care however should be paid between these two periods to keeping the ground well raked and cleaned End of section 3